0: We're gonna be in Esther chapter four. As you, as you read through the book of Esther, it's 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 kind of one scene after another. The the chapter breaks are, are really good. And it's and it's almost like the the end of the season in a TV series where you have this cliffhanger. Every week it's cliffhanger after cliffhanger of, of uh, the, the events that are just sort of uh, unveiling in, in, in the book of Esther. And even though God is not mentioned in the book, you can just easily see His hand in all the events that are going on. And, and it's sort of a... a um, I don't know if it's really sarcastic manner, but you could say rather than chapters, they are coincidence. Turn to coincidence number one, number two, number three, number four. That all these things they're happening, but they are not by coincidence. It's by the providence of God that each of these each of these things happen. You know, beginning with Vashti, with King um, Ahasuerus banishing his wife. And that as we look down to the end, it's, 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 we see Esther being chosen as queen and then standing up for her people and being used by God to save His people. So let's begin reading chapter 4, the, the next scene in, in Esther. When Mordecai learned all that had been done... "'Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes "'and went out into the midst of the city, "'and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. "'He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, "'for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate "'clothed in sackcloth. "'And in every province, "'wherever the king's command and decree reached, "'there was great mourning among the Jews.' With fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. We have this when Mordecai learned. You know, that's just an invitation to look back. It's like when he learned what? When he learned that Haman had gone to King Ahasuerus and said, There's a people in your kingdom who don't obey your laws, and and, and they don't serve you, and, and they really don't even like you, and we need to just kill them. And Ahasuerus said, here's my signet ring, take it and do what you want. He never once even asked what group of people these were, that it was the Jews. And yet they sent out a a decree through the whole 127 provinces from India down to Ethiopia over into Asia Minor to, to Turkey and said, all these people, this one people group is to, is to be killed uh, in, in, in the last month of, of the year. So they have about 11 months to wait. When, when Mordecai learns of that decree. They read it in all of the provinces. They read it there in the city of Susa where Mordecai is, is probably an official to the king. He went to the king's gate every day. He, he, he hears this. What does he do? Like, what would we call this? Okay, bad question. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. He puts on ashes. He is mourning have you ever worn sackcloth? I mean, we hear about it. They say it's made out of goat hair, woven, and it's for bags of grain or feed sacks. You know, so, so just picture or remember, maybe ever, you ever put on a burlap bag? I mean, just, you know, it's not real comfortable. Now, now why would you do that if you're mourning I mean, what, what would be the purpose? We don't do that anymore. At least I don't know anybody who mourns by putting on sackcloth or tearing their clothes. But, but that was very common, especially in the, in the, in the ancient uh, Near East, that that was how they, they mourned. It's, it's removing any kind of comfort to, to, that, that one might be feeling themselves to just show how, how low they're feeling how how sad, uh, how sorrowful, and he put on this this sack. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. He puts ashes on his head, to just and, and 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 so others would see them and know, he is he is mourning, he he is sorrowful. What's the next thing he does? He says he cries out, aloud, with a bitter cry, that you just get the sense? You can almost hear this wailing, this this bitter wailing, crying out. Why? Maybe two reasons. Maybe more than that. Number one, he knows this decree has been issued by the king that all of the Jews are to be what? Three things, right? Destroyed, killed, and annihilated. That pretty much covers everything, right? I mean, they're they're to be totally wiped out. So 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 Mordecai knows they're they're to be they're to be killed, to be utterly destroyed, all their goods plundered by whoever kills them. In in eleven months, they have, you know, most of a year to think and wait in anticipation for this for this thing to happen, and and he's crying out. But why did Haman go to King Ahasuerus and ask that the Jews be destroyed, killed, and annihilated? you remember why? Because Mordecai would not bow down to him. So not only is it all of his people are going to be destroyed, if he's thinking this through, and I know sometimes guys don't really think things through, but if he's thinking this through, he... It's because of him, what he did. So not only are my people going to be destroyed, but I'm the reason they're going to be destroyed. And so he's, he's maybe doubly mournful for that. It's like, well, I thought I was being doing the right thing, not bowing down to, to Haman, not in a worship sense, but just not paying him homage because after all, it appears that Haman is a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, who Saul led off the hook back in Samuel. Oh, is it chapter 10? Okay, that was the last week. You can go look. He let that Haman was, was a descendant of one of Israel's ancient foes but now an even more ancient foe of not only Israel, but the whole mankind is, is maneuvering Haman to try to, to kill all of the Jews. That, it, that it's clearly a satanic plot. If I can kill all of the Jews, then there'll be no Messiah. I mean, Satan can convince himself of, of many things, and but... You know, why he doesn't realize that the Almighty God who created him in the first place is going to triumph in the end. So Mordecai, he he tears his clothes, puts on ashes and sackcloth. He goes to the entrance of the gate, says, because no one is able to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And not only there, but throughout the whole kingdom, the every Jew is doing the same thing. You know, it, it doesn't appear, we're not told that, that they sent out a decree for this, but that they read that decree in all of these cities, in all of the provinces, and they all reacted the same way. Wouldn't we? I mean, it's they're, they're, they're going to come and they're going to kill this group of people on this day, and we would certainly be, be uh, in the same frame of mind. But notice the things that, one other thing that they're doing during this great time of mourning, they're they're also fasting. We'll come back to that. Verse 4, When Esther's young women... And her eunuchs came and told her the queen was greatly distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to bring into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the decree, the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So first we read of of Mordecai's reaction to the decree that all the Jews and all of the kingdom of 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 the Persians be killed, destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Now we learn of Esther's reaction to finding out that Mordecai is mourning and grieving for something, and it would seem that she doesn't know why he's why he is is mourning. She sends one of her eunuchs, says her her young women and her eunuchs came. They tell her that Mordecai is in distress. He's wearing sackcloth. He's torn his clothes. He's got ashes on his head. He's he's weeping and wailing, crying out. And Esther, being basically Mordecai, Mordecai's adopted daughter, wants to know why. So she sends Hathak, one of, the, one of the eunuchs, says there in verse 5 to learn out what this was and why it was. You know, why is Mordecai mourning? What's, what's up? I, I haven't heard. I, I don't know. And, and so when, when Hathak goes out, Mordecai tells him exactly what's happened. Haman has issued a decree uh, under the authority of the king, and all of the Jews are going to be uh, destroyed on a particular day in, in, in all of the kingdom. It's the 12th month, 11 months from now, all of the Jews are going to be destroyed. So notice, and I'm not sure, I think, I think, I think it was Chuck Swindoll who who pointed out. Notice what else he does. He tells Hathak, Mordecai tells Hathak what's happening, but notice what else he does. He gives him a copy of the written decree. It's not just hearsay, and and I and I was kind of amused or or. Taken back by, I have. Chuck Swindoll wrote this series of biographies, and he did one on Esther. Well, it was written in 1997. Now, when we were in the middle of 1997, you know, we were still thinking of the good old days, you know. But now, 24 years later, and you think of all of the things that have happened in the last. In years, the way our society has, has seemed to have declined. And, and Chuck Swindoll was saying 24 years ago, be careful of what you repeat. Mordecai gave Esther a copy of the decree so that she can read it. And, and it wasn't open for her interpretation of what she heard. You know, Mordecai here's the decree, he tells Hathak, Hathak tells Esther, you know, kind of that telephone game where by the time it gets to the end, it's really changed. And, and But he sends, he, he's, he's wise in sending her a copy of the decree so that no fake news can happen. You know, she's reading it herself and seeing that, yeah, this is, this is, is really what the king has decreed. And so, that goes back. He, Mordecai says... Go to the king, tells Esther. Remember, Esther is the queen. Go to the king and beg him for favor, plead with him on behalf of your people. That sounds like a reasonable request. But notice what Esther says. She says, Everybody knows that you just don't go into the king. You have to have an invitation. And it's, 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 there, there are several extra-biblical records of, of this very thing. Herodotus, the, the, the Greek historian, says that, that it actually started with the, 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 the Midian kings. Remember, it's the, the Medes and the Persians who, who take over Babylon. And, and the Persians eventually become stronger and, and the Medes are just sort of forgotten. But the, the Median kings, they they refused entrance to their throne rooms as a way to kind of enhance their their dignity and their and their their respect, maybe maybe a little bit of of kind of keeping people guessing, but also as just a form of of protection that they refused to, to allow people to come in uh, unannounced or uninvited. And Josephus, uh, a, a first century Jewish historian, says that, that the king made a law that none of his own people could approach him unless they were called. And, and, and when you went in, as he sat on his throne, there were men with axes Standing beside him that if you came in unannounced, it doesn't take much to guess what the axes were for, that, that they were for chopping off heads and, and to, to punish anyone who came in unannounced. And so, so Esther tells Mordecai, well, everybody knows you don't go in without being called. There's only one penalty, and that's death. There's only one possible uh, sentence and that's death unless he happens to extend to you the gold scepter and he hadn't called me for 30 days. So she's, she's very hesitant. I love what Matthew Henry says though. He said, this made the royal palace little better than a royal prison. It was bad for their subjects, for what good had they of a king that might never have, that they might never have liberty to apply for redress of grievances? And then he goes on and he says, It is not thus in the, king of the, king, in the court of the king of kings. In the court to his footstool of his throne of grace, we may at any time come boldly. What's he saying? You could not go into the Persian king, the earthly king, without being invited. But that's not so with the king of kings, with God, that we might go at any time. They are not. He is always there bidding us to bring our praise, our thanks, our petitions, our supplications to him. We don't have to worry about having our heads chopped off when we approach God's throne of grace. I mean, if there's no other application in this whole chapter, that in and of itself is, is the greatest thing. You know. And, and maybe we're so used to that that we, we just take it for granted. That I can, I can go to God at any time. I don't have to go to a priest Jesus is our high priest, has ascended and, and, and makes intercession on our, on our behalf. And not only, not only Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit does too with groanings imperceptible to, to man. I mean, that is, that is really good news and, and, and a benefit to which we too many times don't utilize until we're, until we're desperate. Okay, verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do you think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place." but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I mean, that's, that's certainly the, the best known verse in, in all of, of Esther, and, and maybe one that that we know, but we don't remember the context for such a time as this. You know, for this very moment, these circumstances. And Mordecai is saying, Who knows that this is not the very reason that you have been chosen queen? And it's and it's almost rhetorical in in a in a sense because he I, I believe Mordecai realizes that is why. Esther was chosen, and he's just trying to to get her to to see what's happened. God's name is not mentioned, but we're seeing the the providence of God's hand working in all these events to bring about the salvation for his people, the the Jews, in this Jewish orphan girl who was forced into the harem of this pagan king, but then chosen to be queen so that she might be able to go into the king. I mean, that's kind of a spoiler alert. And and make intercession on behalf of, of, of her people. Mordecai seems to be maturing or... Maybe I, I kind of think somewhere between the end of chapter two and the end and chapter three that Mordecai rededicated his life, as, as we would say in the Baptist church. That he that he realized that you know maybe I should have gone back to Jerusalem with all those people and not been worried about just making money here in Susa and 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 just you know being being comfortable. Because remember in chapter 2, he told Esther, don't tell them that you're a Jew. But now when they ask, why don't you pay homage to, to Haman? He says, because I'm a Jew. A- a- and now in, in chapter 4, we see even more steps that he's, that he's taking. He doesn't say, okay, I've got to escape. I mean, how do you escape? You're kind of in the middle there in Iran, the empire goes from India down to Ethiopia up into modern-day Turkey. It's like, where would he go, London? Or, or maybe, I, you know, you, you can't get out of the Persian empire. And he realizes that that I'm here, and it just so happens that I raised the queen. I brought her up. I, 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 I taught her hopefully about God, about His people, about how to, how, how, to lit, how to live. So, what can we apply from Esther chapter 4? You know, certainly the one thing that, that, that I already mentioned was that we can approach God's throne at, at any time. But the, you know, uh, there's, there's kind of, and, and this may not be an absolute, but, but in some regard there are two ways, two things to glean from, two ways to glean from Scripture. One is a moralistic way, manners in which we should live, you know, instructions on how we should live, sort of sort of moralistic. And that's not unimportant. But, but what's even more important, though, is what does this passage reveal to me about God? What does this passage reveal to me about God's redemptive plan? But yeah, it's, it's good for us to see examples on how to live our lives, whether it's a, a negative Manner or a, a positive manner. But what does this teach me about God and His love and concern? Where is this happening? Susa, in the, one of the citadels, the, one of the capitals of the Persian Empire. It's not happening in Jerusalem. Who is it happening to? I mean, initially to Mordecai, to Jews who did not go back to the promised land when they were able to. Does that not tell us anything about God's concern for us even when we are disobedient? Even when we are not walking exactly according to His plan for us, that God, maybe He's even more concerned, and that He reaches out to save the Jews who were outside of the Promised Land. Okay, let it bounce around in me. It might take a little bit to, you know, to 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 get that. But 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 does it not show? how much God loves us even when we're disobeying Him, that He's going to discipline us, chasten us as a loving Father, you know, that He doesn't just throw us by the wayside. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Because I would have been chunked a long time ago, you know, and, and probably not even recycled, just thrown in the in the in the trash. But but that God still loves us, no matter what, no matter what we've done. <clears throat> what else can we can we see from this? Everybody's like, shh, shh, shh. if you don't come up with anything, we'll get out by ten thirty. <laughs> not a chance. <clears throat> Matthew Henry, he, he, in, in this, the brief introduction to chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says, he, two, two little lines. In chapter 3 he says, "...a very bleak and mournful scene opens here and which threatens to ruin, threatens the ruin of all of God's people." That's, that's the beginning of, of, of chapter 3. But he says, were there not such dark nights, the light of morning would not be so welcome. And he's saying, without God's intervention and deliverance, you know. But then in chapter 4, he says, when we left chapter 3, we left God's Isaac "...bound upon the altar, ready to be sacrificed, and the enemies of God triumphing in the prospect of it. But things here begin to work toward the deliverance, and they begin at the right end." What's he saying? God, who is God's Isaac? Israel. You know, that as Abraham tied Isaac to to the stone to sacrifice him... That that Matthew Henry's comparing it as we left chapter 3, God's Isaac is tied to the altar, about to be, about to be sacrificed. The enemies of God, Haman, are, are triumphing over that. But now God's deliverance comes about. That just when things seemed, seemed the bleakest, we we learned what? Kind of, kind of. Once again, as we saw over and over and over in the book of Daniel, that God is in control. It's it's easy to say, but but do we really believe that? Do do we do we put our faith in Him that no matter what, or do we try to go about being Mister Fixer or Miss Fixer fix, Fixer, and and I've got to do this. Or are we faithful to, to wait on God and, and, His, and His timing? Have you ever, one, one final thing, have you ever considered that phrase for such a time as this in, in, in your life? Oh, my goodness maybe that's why I'm here. You know, because even identical twins who, who have, is it like the same exact DNA? Are really, 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 really close? You know, it, but they, they grow up slightly different. They, they're, they're not with each other 100% of the time. And so each of us is an individual that we are unique Our history, our makeup, our experiences, our our thought process, and that God can use just one person to bring about his, his purposes. And that that's how he chooses to work. There was one Abraham, there was one Moses, and thankfully there was one Jesus who died on the cross for our redemption. Anything else before we get out really, really early in honor of our, our moms? Okay, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you and praise you because you are the sovereign God our creator, our sustainer. And that God, as we see your providence, your redemptive ha- hand here in, in saving your people 2,500 years ago, God, we know that you're still active in the world today. And though we might look around and see things as as bleak and as, as terrifying as, as Mordecai did that we know that you're in control, that you have a plan. And God, may we be faithful as, as Esther is in answering that call to obedience for such a time as this in, in our very own lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.